Book Nine, Chapter Two of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Camilla or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Chapter Two. Touches of Wit and Humor. The suddenness of this blow to Camilla at the moment when her expectations from Edgar were wound up to the summit of all she desired, would have stupefied her into a consternation beyond even affliction, had not the mildness of his farewell, the kindness of his prayers, and the friendship of his counsels, joined to the generosity of leaving folly to herself the account of their separation, subdued all the pride that sought to stifle her tenderness and penetrated her with an admiration which left not one particle of censor to diminish her regret melmont and his sister always open to distress and susceptible to pity saw with true concern this melancholy change and concluded that mandelbert had communicated some painful intelligence she went straight to her own room with a sign of supplication that mrs burlington would not follow and turning quick from mrs mitten who met her at the street door mrs burlington yielded but mrs mitten was not easily rebuffed she was loaded with lilac plumes ribbons and gauzes and camilla saw her bed completely covered with her new ball dress this sight was at first an aggravation of her agony by appearing to her as superfluous as it was expensive but wherever hope could find an aperture to creep in at it it was sure of a welcome from camilla edgar was undoubtedly invited to the ball why should he not be there he had taken leave of her indeed and he certainly proposed going abroad but could a mere meeting once more be so repugnant as not to be endured the answer to this question was favourable to her wishes for by her wishes it was framed and the next play of her fertile and quick reviving imagination described the meeting that would ensue the accidents that would bring them into the same set the circumstances that would draw them again into conversation and the sincerity with which she would do justice to her unalterable esteem by assuring him how injurious to it were his surmises that she thought him rigorous austere or in any single instance to blame these hopes somewhat appeased though their uncertainty could not banish her terrors and she was able to appear at dinner tolerably composed another affair immediately after superseded them for the present by more urgent difficulties soon after her arrival at southampton a poor woman who washed for her made a petition in behalf of her brother a petty shopkeeper who by various common yet pitiable circumstances of unmerited ill-success in business was unable to give either money or security to the wholesale dealers for the renewal of his exhausted stock in trade though the present full season made it rational to suppose that if he had his usual commodities he might retrieve his credit save himself from bankruptcy and his children from beggary these last which were five in number were all upon various pretences brought to camilla 
whose pity they excited by the innocence with which they seemed ignorant of requiring it and who received them with smiles and encouragement however frivolous their errands and frequent their interruptions but the goods which their father wanted to lay in to revive his trade demanded full thirty pounds which camilla declared was absolutely out of her power to give as thirty thousand though she promised to plead to sir hugh for the sum upon her return to cleves and was prevailed with to grant her name to this promise for the wholesale dealers these would trust however to no verbal security and mrs mitten who from collateral reasons was completely a friend of the poor man offered to be bound for him herself though thirty pounds were nearly her year's income provided camilla would sign a paper by which she would engage upon her honour to indemnify her of any loss she might eventually sustain by this agreement as soon as she was of age or should find it in her power before that time the seriousness of this clause made camilla refuse the responsibility protesting she should have no added means in consequence of being of age but mrs mitten assured higden the poor man as she assured all others that she was heiress to immense wealth for she had had it from one that had it from her own brother's own mouth and that though she could not find out why she was so shy of owning it she supposed it was only from the fear of being imposed upon the steadiness of camilla however could not withstand her compassion when the washerwoman brought the poor children to beg for their father and certain of her uncle's bounty she would have run a far more palpable risk sooner than have assumed the force to send them weeping away the stores were then delivered and all the family poured forth their thanks but this day in quitting the dining-parlour she was stopped in the hall by higden who in unfeigned agonies related that some flasks of oil in a small hamper which were amongst the michalonous articles of his just collected stores had by some cruel accident been crushed and their contents finding their way into all the other packages had stained or destroyed them camilla to whose foresight misfortune never presented itself heard this with nearly equal terror for herself and sorrow for the poor man yet her own part in a second minute appeared that of mere inconvenience compared with his which seemed ruin irretrievable she sought therefore to comfort him but could afford no further help since she had painfully to beg from her uncle the sum already so uselessly incurred he ventured still to press that if again he could obtain a supply every evil chance should be guarded against but camilla had now learnt that accidents were possible and the fear which arises from disappointed trust made her think of probable mischiefs with too acute a discernment to deem it right to run again any hazard where if there were a failure another not herself would be the sufferer yet the despair of the poor man induced her to promise she would write in his favour though not act in it again unauthorised with feelings of still augmented discomfort from her denial she repaired to her toilet but attired herself without seeing what she put on or knowing but by mrs mitten's descriptions and boastings that her dress was new of the purple uniform and made precisely like that of mrs burlington her agitated spirits suspended 
not between hope and fear but hope and despair permitted no examination of its elegance the recollection of its expense and the knowledge that edgar thought her degenerating into coquetry left nothing but regret for its wear mrs burlington who never before since her marriage had been of any party where her attractions had not been unrivalled had believed herself superior to pleasure from personal homage and knew not till she missed it that it made any part of her amusement in public but the beauty when first she perceives a competitor for the adulation she has enjoyed exclusively and the statesman at the first turn of popular applause to an antagonist are the two beings who perhaps for the moment require the most severe display of self-command to disguise under the semblance of good humour or indifference the disappointment they experience in themselves or the contempt with which they are seized for the changing multitude mrs burlington though she felt no resentment against camilla for the desertion she had occasioned her felt much surprise not to be first was new to her and whoever in any station of life any class of society has had regular and acknowledged precedency must own a sudden descent to be rather awkward where resignation is voluntary to give up the higher place may denote more greatness of mind than to retain it but where imposed by others few things are less exhilarating to the principal or impress less respect upon the bystander mrs burlington had never been vain but she could not be ignorant of her beauty and that the world's admiration should be so wondrously fickle or so curiously short-lived as to make even the bloom of youth fade before the higher zest of novelty was an earlier lesson than her mind was prepared to receive she thought she had dressed herself that morning with too much carelessness of what was becoming and devoted to this evening a greater portion of labour and study while camilla was impatiently waiting mrs pollard the washerwoman gained admittance to her and bringing two interesting little children from four to five years old and an elder girl of eleven made them join with herself to implore their benefactors to save them all from destruction higden having had the imprudence in his grief to make known his recent misfortune it had reached the ears of his landlord who already was watchful and suspicious from a year and a half errors of his rent and steps were immediately preparing to seize whatever was upon the premises the next morning which by bringing upon him all his other creditors would infallibly immure him in the lingering hopelessness of a prison camilla now wavered the debt was but eighteen pounds the noble largesses of her uncle in charity till of late that he had been somewhat drained by lionel were nearly unlimited she paused looked now at the pleading rook now at her expensive dress asked how for her own hopes she could risk so much yet for their deliverance from ruin so little and with a blush turning from the mirror and to the children with a tear finally consented that the landlord should apply to her the next morning lord purville had some time opened the ball before mrs burlington's arrival but he looked everywhere for camilla to succeed to a young lady of quality 
with whom he had danced the first two dances he could not however believe he had found though he now soon saw and made up to her the brilliancy of her eyes was dimmed by weeping her vivacity was changed into dejection sighs and looks of absence took place of smiles and sallies of gaiety and her whole character seemed to have lost its spring and elasticity she gave him her hand to preserve her power of giving it if claimed by edgar and though he had thought of her without ceasing since she had charmed him in the yacht till he had obtained it not a lady appeared in the room by the time these two dances were over that he would not more cheerfully have chosen for two more her gravity every minute increased her eye rolled with restless anxiety everywhere except to meet his and so little were her thoughts looks or conversation bestowed upon her partner that instead of finding the animated beauty who had nearly captivated him on board the yacht he seemed coupled with a fair lifeless machine whom the music perforce put in motion and relinquished her hand with as little reluctance as she withdrew it melmont had again by his sister been forced into the party though with added unwillingness from his new idea of indiana now however to avoid that fair bane was impossible indiana was the first object to meet every eye from the lustre of her beauty and the fineness of her figure each more than ever transcendently conspicuous from the uniform which had obliged every other female in the room to appear in exactly the same attire yet great and unrivalled as was the admiration which she met what came simply and naturally was insufficient for the thirst with which she now quaffed this intoxicating beverage and to render its draught still more delicious she made eugenia always hold by her arm the contrast here to the spectators was diverting as well as striking and renewed attention to her own charms when the eye began to grow nearly sated with gazing the ingenious eugenia incapable of suspecting such a design was always the dupe to the request from the opinion it was made in kindness to save her from fatigue in the eternal sauntering of a public place and lost to all fear in being lost to all hope as to her own appearance cheerfully accompanied her beautiful kinswoman without conjecturing that in a company whence the illiterate and vulgar were excluded personal imperfections could excite pleasantry or be a subject of satire camilla who still saw nothing of edgar yet still thought it possible he might come joined them as soon as she was able miss margland was full of complaints about dr orkborn for his affording them no assistance in the yacht and not coming home even to dinner nor to attend them to lord purville's and eugenia who was sincerely attached to the doctor from the many years he had been her preceptor was beginning to express her serious uneasiness at his thus strangely vanishing when clermont with the most obstreperous laughter made up to them and said i'll tell you a monstrous good joke the best thing you ever heard in your life the old doctor's been upon the very point of being drowned and he has not had a morsel to eat all day 
He then related that his man, having seen him composedly seated and musing upon a pile of planks which were seasoning upon the beach, with his face turned away from the company to avoid its interruptions, had inquired if he had any commands at home whither he was going. "'Not for meaning to do them,' continued Lindmer. "'No, no, catch Bob at that, but only to break in upon him, for Bob's a rare hand at a joke. He says he's ready to die with laughing when he speaks to the old doctor while he's studying, because he looks so much as if he wished we were all hanged. However, he answered tolerably civilly, and only desired that nobody might go into his room till he came home from the sale, for he'd forgot to lock it. So Bob, who smoked how the matter was, says, "'The sale, sir, what are you going alone, then?' for all the company's been gone these two hours. So this put him in such a taking. Bob says he never laughed so much in his life. He jumped up as if he'd been bit. Gone, says he. Why, where's Miss Eugenia? I promised Sir Hugh not to lose sight of her. So he said he'd go after her that very moment. Call me a boat, said he just as if he'd ordered a hackney-coach, for he knows about as much of winds and tides as my little bay filly that I bought of Holder yesterday for fifty pounds, but that I shall make worth seventeen less than a month. Well, there was nothing to be had but a small fishing-boat. So Bob winks at the man to take in a friend, for he has all those fellows in a string. So in went his Latin ship, and off they put— Bob fell into such a fit of laughter. He says, I might have heard him a mile off. I don't think Bob has his fellow upon earth for fun. Eugenia now interrupted the narration with a serious inquiry where Dr. Orkborn was at present. Linmere, shouting at what he thought the ridicule of this concern, answered that Bob had told the fisherman to go about his own business, unless the doctor offered to pay him handsomely for taking him on board the yacht. But, thinking it would be a good joke to know what was become of him, he had gone himself, with Holder and some more choice blades to the beach, about half an hour ago, to make Bob see if the fishing-boat was come in. And, by good luck, they arrived at the very nick of time, and saw the doctor, the fish, and the fishing-tackle, all hauled out together and a better sight was never seen before i promise you continued lindmere i thought i should quite have burst my sides with looking at him he was so wet and so cold and so miserable and when i thought of his having had no dinner i shouted till i was ready to roll on the beach and he smelled so of the fish that I could have hugged Bob. Twas such monstrous good sport. He got three half-crowns in a minute for his ingenuity. Holder began, and two others of us gave two more. Poor Dr. Orkborn, and where is he now? said Eugenia. Why, we got about the fisherman, and then we had all the same fun over again. He says that at the first the poor gentleman was in a great taking, fretting and fuming and looking out for the yacht, 
and seeming almost beside himself for hurry to get to it but after that he takes out a little red book and a pencil and falls to writing just as hard as if he'd come into the boat for nothing else in so much that when they were just coming alongside the yacht he never lifted up his head nor listened to one word but kept making a motion with his hand to be let alone and when the man said the yacht would be passed he bid him hold his peace and not interrupt him so in such a pettish manner that the man resolved to take honest bob's advice and go on about his own business and so he did and the doctor was as content as a lord till he had scribbled all he could scratch out of his noddle but then came the best sport of all for when he had nothing more to write and looked up and saw the boat stock still and the man fishing at his leisure and heard the yacht had been bound homeward for a good hour he was in such a perilous passion the man says that he actually thought he'd have jumped overboard i'll bet what you will he won't ask bob to call him a boat again in a hurry as to his behaviour said miss margland it's the last thing in the world to surprise me after what i have seen myself nor anybody else i believe neither who is dr orkborn i doubt much if anybody ever heard his name before i should like to know if anybody can tell who was his grandfather she then declared if she could get any soul to fetch him he should still come if it were only that he might not pass the evening all in his own way which would be just the thing to encourage him to hide himself out of sight on purpose not to help them another time eugenia was going to beg he might not be disturbed when melmont all alacrity to seize any means of absenting himself from the two cousins who produced in him so severe a conflict offered his services to carry a message to the doctor which being readily accepted he set off indiana and eugenia not wholly without similarity of sensation looked after him indiana had now caught his eye and though quickness was no part of her character the tale it told had convinced her that her power though no longer acknowledged was not extinguished it required neither elemental precepts nor sagacious perceptions to make this discovery and she exultingly determined to appease her late mortification by reducing him to her feet she stopped not to inquire what such a step might be to eugenia nor what was likely or even desirable to be its event where narrow minds imagine they have received injury they seek revenge rather than redress from an opinion that such a conduct asserts their own importance still vainly and wretchedly the eyes of camilla sought edgar the evening advanced but he came not yet catching at every possible chance for hope she thought some other room that they had not visited might be open for company where finally they might meet dr orkborn accompanied melmon back miss margland was preparing him a reproachful reception but was so much offended by the fishy smell which he brought into the room that she had immediate recourse to her salts and besought him to stand out of her way he complied without reluctance though with high disdain 
the young ladies were all dancing indiana had no sooner perceived melmond than she determined to engage his attention the arts of coquetry require but slender parts where the love of admiration is potent she pretended therefore to feel extremely ill put her hand to her forehead and telling her partner mr holder she could not stand another minute hastened to miss margland and cast herself as if fainting upon her neck this had all the success with melmont that his own lively imagination could give it he flew to a side-table to get her a glass of water which his trembling hand could scarce hold but which she received from him with a languishing sweetness that dissolved every tie but of love and he hung over her enamoured while miss margland related that she could hardly keep from fainting herself so much she had been shocked and disordered by the horrid smell of dr orkborn indiana now caught the infection and protested she was so much worse that if she had not a little air she should die melmont was flying to open a window but a lady who sat close to it objected and he had then recourse to two folding doors leading to a portico open to a large garden hither indiana permitted herself to be led and led by the thrice happy yet thrice miserable melmont miss margland was accompanying them but lady purville advancing to inquire what went wrong gave her an opportunity irresistible to inveigh against dr orkborn and as her well-bred hearer though little interested in such a detail would not interrupt it indiana arrived alone in the portico with melmont holder who had danced with her followed but supposing melmont the favoured man walked singing off and made the tour of the garden the situation was to melmont as dangerous as to indiana it was exulting she now suddenly withdrew her hand with an air of poignant disdain which the illuminated portico and house made amply visible and when surprised and much moved he tremblingly inquired if she were worse she answered why do you ask i am sure you do not care easily deprived of all forbearance heavens he exclaimed do i live yet suffer this imputation oh divine indiana load me with every other reproach rather than this dreadful charge of insensibility to all that is most lovely most perfect upon earth i thought said indiana again softening her fine eyes you had quite forgot me and all the vows you made to me wretch that i am cried melmont nearly distracted by this charge and by the regret at losing him which seemed its purpose condemned to every species of woe oh fair angelic indiana in a cottage with you would i have dwelt more delightedly and more proudly than any potentate in the most gorgeous palace but alas from you formed to enchant all mankind and add grace to every dignity from you could i dare ask such a sacrifice indiana now listened with an attentive softness no longer facetious though all her views wafted her to splendour and high life her ear could not withstand the romantic sound of love and a cottage 
and though no character was ever less formed to know and taste the blessing such a spot may bestow and reciprocate she imagined she might there be happy for she considered such a habitation but as a bower of eglantine and roses in which she might repose and be adored all day long melmont saw but too quickly the relenting cast of her countenance and ecstasy and despair combated which should bear sway in his breast ah madam he cried most adorable and most adored of women you know my terrible situation but you know not the sufferings nor the constancy of my heart the persecution of friends the pressure of distress the hopelessness of my idolized indiana a deep sigh interrupted him it came not from indiana startled he looked round and beheld eugenia leaning against the door by which she seemed to have intended entering pale petrified aghast shame now tied his tongue and tingled with quick reproach through his whole frame he looked at indiana with despair at eugenia with remorse injured rectitude and blushing honor urged him to the swiftest termination of so every way terrible a scene and bowing low to eugenia i durst not madam he cried ever hope for your pardon yet i rather deluded myself than deceived you when i ventured to solicit your acceptance alas i am a bankrupt both in fortune and in heart and can only pray you will hasten to forget that you may forbear to execrate me he then disappeared finding a way out by the garden to avoid re-entering the ballroom eugenia who in this speech comprehended an eternal adieu sunk upon the seat of the portico cold shivering almost lifeless little prepared for such an event she had followed indiana the moment she was disengaged from the dance not suspicious of any tete-a-tete from believing holder of the party the energy of melmont made her approach unheard and the words she unavoidably caught nearly turned her to marble indiana was sorry for her distress yet felt a triumph in its cause and wondered how so plain a little creature could take it into her head to think of marrying camilla now joined them affrighted at the evident anguish of eugenia who leaning upon her affectionate bosom had the relief excited by pity of bursting into tears while despondingly she uttered all is over my sister and over for life with eugenia melmont flies and detests me i am odious in his sight i am horror to his thoughts camilla wept over her in silent but heart-breaking sympathy indiana returned to the dance but the two suffering sisters remained in the portico till summoned to depart they were insensible to the night air from the fever of their minds they spoke no more they felt the insufficiency of words to express their griefs and their mutual compassion was all that softened their mutual sorrows 
End of chapter 2 Read by Lars Rolander